Welcome to this Eastlistic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. Our guest today is Dr. George Solomon, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And we're here to talk about new directions in CFTR modification, therotyping, and the future of individualized cystic fibrosis therapy. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and GSE USA Incorporated. Learning objectives for today's audio program include summarize the concept of therotyping, describe our understanding of the molecular mechanisms of rare CFTR mutations, and explain how improved understanding of molecular mechanisms can influence therapeutic approaches to CFTR mutation. Dr. George Solomon has disclosed that he has served as a consultant for Electromed Incorporated and Bayer Pharmaceuticals and has received grant funding from Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Novalis Therapeutics, and ProQR Therapeutics. He has indicated that there will be no references to the unlabeled or unapproved use of any drugs or products in today's discussion. Dr. Solomon, thank you for joining us today. Bob, thank you for this opportunity and invitation to discuss this topic today. Individualizing therapy for people with cystic fibrosis. Your newsletter issue reviewed some of the ongoing research aimed at achieving that goal, and one of the important concepts you addressed was therotyping. So before we do anything else, doctor, let me ask you to start us out with a basic definition. What is therotyping? Therotyping is a relatively new concept, especially in diseases like cystic fibrosis. In this concept, we take knowledge learned about prior study medications like modulators for CFTR and apply the use to new mutations in cystic fibrosis using the data learned from individual biomarkers. The idea really is that the drug has a known response in a group. Will the same response happen to a different group? And can you predict if that will happen using some kind of biomarker? So the concept of therotyping is pairing known responses in one particular mutation class and pairing that with new responses in a new mutation class using biomarkers. Thank you, doctor. Now, with that as background, please bring us a patient scenario. The first case is a case of a 33-year-old patient with CF who's homozygous for the F508-DEL CFTR mutation. And the patient comes and asks about current and future treatments for the disease at hand. So we know that Ivacaftor alone has not been proven effective in homozygous F508-DEL. But what about the use of a corrector-slash-potentiator combination? What would you tell this patient about that? We've had the benefit in the last year of beginning to prescribe for patients Lumacaftor-Ivacaftor combination therapy for F508-DEL homozygote patients. So this patient would be a good candidate for that therapy. What we learned in two main studies, two principal studies led by Wainwright and colleagues, is that there were modest improvements in lung function, BMI, and frequency of exacerbation with this combination therapy. Those recent landmark studies, which are reviewed in this newsletter issue, demonstrated the combination therapy of Ivacaftor and Lumacaftor is potent enough to improve the key clinical endpoints. However, the response, as we're observing both in follow-up and clinical observations, is not as potent as what we'd see with Ivacaftor for G551D or other mutations that are responsive to that modulator alone. As you alluded to, previous negative studies, including monotherapy with Lumacaftor and Ivacaftor, point the need for better ways to therotype these mutations. And in general, we hope there will be better responses if we better study this mutation and new combination therapies in the future for this patient. 
So I think the patient should be counseled that there are new studies ongoing which would look at more advanced combination therapies as well as other approaches uh, to treating the f 508 del mutation, which may bring a greater clinical improvement than what's currently available with Lumacaftor and Ivacaftor alone. And Dr. Solomon, let's get a little deeper on this. A patient's pulmonary phenotype severity, how might that affect response to therapy? Oh, that's a great question. Stuart Elborn and colleagues, as reviewed in this newsletter issue, began a study looking at a post-hoc analysis to answer that very question. And the short answer is no. It appears that patients across the disease spectrum have some improvements in both lung function, although to a lesser extent in patients with some more severe lung function defect than was originally studied by Wainwright and colleagues. However, when we look across the spectrum, there are improvements in rate of exacerbation, patient-reported outcome measures, including health-related quality of life, and some improvements in lung function. And so the short answer is, is that the pulmonary disease phenotype does not tell us which patients will have a better response, that there is a response across the spectrum. However, it is variable. In addition, what is of concern, though, is that there's a safety, there's a tolerability issue of Lumacaftor, Ivacaftor therapy. The most common reaction that happens in patients is a chest tightness and shortness of breath reaction, which has been observed in both initial studies by Wainwright and colleagues and in this post-hoc analysis by Elborn. And this was corroborated. Unfortunately, the level of severity of this intolerability was greater in patients with more severe lung function disease as measured by FEV1. So therefore, clinicians, when prescribing this therapy, would need to counsel patients that have a lower lung function. They have a greater risk of intolerability, especially from a pulmonary standpoint, compared to patients with milder or more moderate lung function defects. The biomarkers that were used in developing these data, are they considered adequate enough to predict how a patient would respond to the therapy? Bob, that's a question that we've struggled with a lot in the CF clinical research community for the past few years. It's no question that the response in aggregate of Lumacaftor, Ivacaftor in patients that are F508 del homozygous CFTR patients is significantly less compared to patients that got Ivacaftor for G551D and other Ivacaftor responsive mutations. So the improvement in sweat chloride was definitely significantly reduced by about 50%. And that correlates in aggregate across the patients to a more modest improvement in FEV1 and other clinical endpoints. In addition, the FDA demands hard endpoints in a lot of circumstances to approve therapies, especially new classes of therapies. So we have to know what those biomarkers are telling us about the disease. And in addition, we know that the individual responses of patients receiving CFTR modulators do not correlate well to clinical response. And one example of that is when you plot the individual improvement in sweat chloride um, response to a modulator, even in the case of Ivacaftor, that does not well correlate to that individual patient's response to, for instance, FEV1 or clinical improvements like a health-related quality of life. Therefore, at present, sweat chloride, which has been a key phase two type biomarker, is not adequate to supplant clinical response in mutations like the F508-DEL-CFTR and in addition would not be an adequate surrogate marker for clinical response in new class therapies or new modulators, which are being studied with ongoing modulator therapies. So therefore, I think we have to look for better biomarkers, which may have a more sensitive prediction of response to clinical outcomes than what we have currently. So to go back to the patient you presented, 33 years old, homozygous for F508-DEL, and he wants to know about current and future treatments. So what would you tell them? Bob, this is a question. It's a question we get from patients a lot in our clinical arena. 
And I would say that the future, first of all, is bright for treatment of patients with F508 Dell CFTR. First, we have a first pass at a better, more tolerable corrector potentiator combo pairing the drug known as VX661 or Tezacaftor with Ivacaftor. And this molecule has made it through phase three. We know that in a recent press release that there were strong improvements in FEV1 and other clinical endpoints. So this drug will be put up for seeking of FDA approval in the near future, hopefully in 2018. That's the next first step. In addition, we're testing two and maybe potential of up to four next generation corrector molecules. Now, what they do is they're additions to the first generation corrector molecules like Lumacaftor and Tezacaftor. And they would be entering as triple combination. We're currently in phase two studies for those. And we don't know the results yet. We do have a lot of hope they will be effective based on our preclinical modeling of the disease and this mutation. In addition, there's a strong emphasis across the research arena to look at genetic type based therapies to target specific mutations, including F508-DEL. And there have been some recent results reported, which were highlighted in the issue, about genetic-based therapies, which may correct specific mutations in new and novel ways. And finally, as we learn more about modulation of F508-DEL, CFTR, we think that there will be potential to study patients earlier in the disease process, i.e. earlier in their life, and hopefully be able to better ameliorate the development of lung disease as a real potential for more curative therapy at this time. Therefore, there's a lot of hope for this patient, and that should be conveyed, and there's a lot of work in the next few years in the research arena to, to address these, these matters. Thank you, Doctor. And we'll return with Dr. George Solomon from the University of Alabama at Birmingham in just a moment. This is Bob Busker. I'm managing editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is a combination newsletter and podcast program delivered via email to subscribers. Newsletters are published every other month. Each issue reviews the current literature in areas of importance to pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, pediatricians, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, nurses, and physical therapists. Bi-monthly podcasts are also available as downloadable transcripts, providing case-based scenarios to help bring that new information into practice in the clinic. Subscription to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge or prerequisite. Continuing education credit for each issue and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information on this educational activity, to subscribe to and receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge, and to access back issues, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. I'd also like to tell you about the CF Family Day Meeting Builder. This is a one-stop shop to help you create patient and caregiver educations and family day meetings. To find out more, please visit www.cffamilyday.org. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. George Solomon from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And we've been talking about how therotyping and understanding the molecular mechanisms of CFTR mutations can influence the future of individualized CF therapy. So let's continue, if you would please, doctor, with another patient scenario. Well, thanks, Bob. The next case we'll discuss is a case of a 45-year-old white male with CF who has pancreatic sufficiency, who's heterozygous for the R117H CFTR mutation and has mild lung disease. His FEV1 is 91% of predicted. He presents to your clinic for counseling about future therapies and what we might know about his disease progression. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Solomon, but the R117H mutation, that's a CFTR mutation that Ivacaftor has already been approved to treat. So what more do we need to know about it? 
R117H is a relatively newly described CFTR-causing mutation. There's a lot of interesting things that have been learned by looking at mutations like this. The short answer about that is that R17H represents an example of studying the concept of splicing of portions of the gene. We know that the splicing of this gene is affected by the length of a non-coding portion of the CFTR gene known as a poly-T tract. And so, in short, it confers greater risk to disease and a more severe phenotype if that poly-T tract is shorter. So patients that have the R17H with what's called the 5T or the short T tract have true cystic fibrosis because they have CFTR dysfunction due to abnormalities of the protein as a result of that shorter poly-T tract. Patients that have a longer T tract that are 7T, 9T, or greater have a much greater residual function of their CFTR and thus may be called not cystic fibrosis or CFTR-like syndrome or have at least have a milder phenotype in general than patients that have the 5T poly-T tract. And so this type of mutation brings up a concept that we really have to understand more advanced sequencing techniques because without advanced sequencing of the non-coding portions of a gene which are being done more readily now, we would never have understood this discrepancy and never begun to understand that the non-coding portions of the gene can affect the splicing of the genetic material together and affect whether or not you have a, a functional CFTR protein being made inside the cells. And so, therefore, advanced sequencing techniques are essential for us understanding more about mutations which may have responses to modulators in the future by this type of technique and understanding. Doctor, the molecular mechanism of the R117H mutation. Talk to us a little bit about what's currently known, if you would, please. The current understanding is that R117H-CFTR exhibits both a reduced gating, and what that means is that the pore does not open appropriately to allow the flow of anions, like chloride, which is the common anion that CFTR conducts. In addition, it has a component of, of delayed conductance to the pore. What conductance means is that not only does it not open properly, which is gating, but it also, once open, does not properly move the anions down their concentration gradients. And so this discrepancy is made by the fact that splicing occurs to put together inappropriate portions of the protein and thus results in the inadequate splicing of this mutation. And so with more inappropriate splicing of this R117H from the non-coding sequence of the gene, it results in an addition of a part of the protein that does not gate or conduct anions properly. And so the molecular mechanism has sparked interest because one of the molecular mechanisms is gating, which is very well treated by a mutation like Ivacaptor. So this was an early first pass at a mutation that was not G551D, but had characteristics of the G551D gating mutation. And so therefore, it's thought that Ivacaptor might be an effective therapy for this type of mutation, albeit it's a different type of mutation than G551D itself. So that's our understanding of the molecular effect of the R117H CFTR mutation. How does that connect to the clinical trial results testing treatment of R117H? Recently, trials led by Moss and colleagues, which are reviewed in this newsletter, studied 69 patients with this mutation. They were tested for clinical response, including lung function and sweat clot response to Ivacaftor. In aggregate, the clinical trial was negative for the primary endpoint, which was increasing a percent particular FEV1. However, the patients did have a large decrease in sweat chloride of about 20 to 25 millimoles per liter. And a subgroup analysis found the key portion 
that we had suspected before, that patients that had the 5T tract on the same mutation as the ARBA17H demonstrated clinical significant responses. So therefore, this led to the FDA labeling of patients having treatment with Ivacaftor on the basis of their poly-T status and necessitated a next-generation sequencing, which is done now to treat this mutation. So progress has definitely been made in treating this type of mutation. What are the next steps? The sweat clot improvements, especially in patients with the 5T status, is very encouraging. It tells us that targeting patients with specific sequence variants down to the level of non-coding regions is going to be important for rare mutations like this R17H. It points to the fact that we have to continue doing this type of research to understand the real molecular mechanisms of disease in this condition. We think that combination therapies, including patients with F508-DEL and R17H5T may be effective because you would have Ivacaftor in combination with the corrector molecule, especially a next-generation corrector. And so, therefore, it may offer a greater response clinically for patients in combination like patients with G551D had for Ivacaftor. And so, we're very encouraged that next-generation potentiators also may come around, which will reduce sweat chloride sufficiently to carry the load of just a single R17H mutation or other mutations like this in the future. Well, thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. Uh, now, if you would, please... Bring us one more scenario. The next case is a 37-year-old white female with CF who's pancreatic sufficient, who has a complex genotype of F508-DEL and P67-L CFTR mutations. And she comes to your office for counseling about future therapies. She's had recent worsening of her lung function and sinus disease and is hoping for something new to help her with this. Now, there's a rare mutation, P67-L. What's her current understanding of treatment modalities for these patients? At present, some rare mutations like the P67L mutation are being investigated when they're in what's called trans or on the opposite gene to the F508-DEL mutation and some gating mutations. Recently, the development process for patients with F508-DEL and residual function mutations like P67L has shown some promise on a recent press release with treatment of both Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor. And so, therefore, we're hoping there'll be enough efficacy to reach FDA approval. However, the residual function mutations like P67L that have significant response to Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, as F508-DEL homozygous patients did. Probably that has to do with the fact that these mutations are not as well understood, except they cause an overall milder reduction in CFTR function. They often have a milder phenotype, but we don't quite understand the molecular mechanism of these as well. And so, the later onset of disease and pancreatic sufficiency is related to milder CFTR function, but the cause of having some preserved CFTR function in these types of mutations is still under investigation and it's probably been misunderstood for some years and therefore leads us to being less precise with therotyping of modulators towards this type of mutation class. P67L, where does this rare mutation fit, or does it fit at all, in the commonly used mutation classification scheme? Bob, that's a great question. And understanding rare mutations and how they function is really important for this concept of therotyping. It's one of the themes for this podcast. P67L is a rare mutation. It was thought to be and described to be a conductance mutation signifying basically reduced pore capacity. However, new evidence reviewed in this newsletter sheds light that the conductance of P67L CFTR is actually normal. But there's new evidence that it has an impaired gating and protein maturation. Now, that's really good for patients with this mutation because that may point to why Ivacaftor therapy, as in combination with Tezacaftor or other combination therapies, may help these patients because then you have a drug that improves the gating abnormality of P67L. 
And so a better understanding of the molecular mechanism helps us to better therotype patients that may respond to drugs that have known response characteristics like Ivacaftor in this circumstance. So sum it up for us. The new evidence into mutations like P67L, what does it tell us about therotyping and what does it tell us about potential future treatments in cystic fibrosis? I think the concept of therotyping, as we may be seeing with early evidence of efficacy in mutations like P67L with this combination therapy, is a key for these types of mutations. Understanding the basic defect of the mutation paired with known clinical responses and biomarkers that predict that clinical response will allow us to extend the labeling or extend the use of modulator classes more rapidly and tell us how a roadmap for treating a broader array of rare mutations in CF and hopefully other genetic conditions down the line as a more general roadmap, but for sure for CF in patients with rare mutations. Biomarkers that predict clinical response, which you just said. Talk to us a little bit more about the importance of those, if you would, please. Improved biomarkers is really, really a key for better understanding rare mutations. We aren't going to be able to do classic randomized control trials for labeling of every rare mutation because assembling that patient population would be nearly impossible to do that for a study. We present some some information by Deckers and others in this newsletter that shows the capacity of one biomarker known as rectal organoids that adequately predicts for clinical response across two different distinct molecular mechanisms and mutations. And so more studies like this that would help us to determine if biomarkers could do this in a broader sense and be able to take a biomarker from a disparate group of patients, run that in a lab and say, all right, this patient that has this type of molecular mechanism, rare mutation, they will respond to this class of modulators would be awesome because we could skip the possibility of having to do a a traditional randomized control trial to get FDA labeling. The FDA has made a first impetus very recently by extending the labeling of Ivacaftor to about 23 additional Ivacaftor responsive mutations without doing control trials. So they've told us that this may be a possibility in the future. And by that, individual biomarkers using Cell lines, these either cell lines that express a particular mutation and or primary human tissue, specifically bronchial epithelial cells grown in culture that showed that those patients' tissues had a similar response that was seen in Ivacaftor and other Ivacaftor responsive mutations. Pairing that allowed the FDA to extend the label of Ivacaftor very recently. And so assuming those patients do have a sustained clinical response as patients with Ivacaftor, That will tell us that that concept of using a biomarker without having to have the actual patient studied will be a viable approach in the future to attacking rare mutations. In addition to that, as we mentioned earlier, we can use genotype agnostic approaches to treat rare mutations. So you could take patients independent of their mutation and give them fully functional CFTR protein or CFTR genetic material and they would have correction of their CFTR function independent of what the molecular mechanism of their defect is. So I think the studies of therotyping, including biomarkers and extending the labeling, what we've talked about, as well as future of genetic genotype agnostic approaches, are going to be the real key for the future of helping patients, especially with rare mutations. Uh, We've kind of moved into discussing the future, Dr. Solomon, so let me ask you. Personalized therapeutics, individualized treatments for CF. Your thoughts on that? Personalized therapeutics, in short, I think are possible in cystic fibrosis. 
at present, CF has been one of the model research arenas in which this has been studied and is being advanced. It's no question, as we discussed in this podcast and as reviewed in this newsletter issue, the continued work in biomarkers that are sensitive at the patient level are going to be key to make advancing this forward. And in addition, as we get more capable of understanding unpersonalized therapies, in other words, genotype agnostic approaches, we may be able to treat every patient regardless of their molecular mechanism of CFTR dysfunction. However, those techniques are our future. We're not there yet with those. And so they require a lot more research in the basic science arena before we're going to get to that point. And so I think we have to, at this point, because we're not there with those types of unpersonalized types of approaches, we've got to continue to understand the precise molecular nature of mutations until we have a definite gene level treatment for this disease. And so I think those two things, current and future, will guide us to therapies that are very effective for all patients with CF. Thank you for sharing your insights, Doctor. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing today's discussion in light of our learning objectives. So, our first objective, the concept of therotyping. We've discussed today in this podcast, therotyping is a new approach in CF. This concept pairs understanding in the molecular mechanism of new and rare CFTR mutations with means to predict the response of known modulator therapies on an individual patient level. This concept is revolutionizing the way we think about rare mutations in CF, and we hope will be a concept we can use in the future to advance therapies to more patients. And our second objective, understanding the molecular mechanisms of rare CFTR mutations. This is important for the concept of therotyping and links in very tightly. We reviewed two cases in this podcast of relatively rare and variable phenotypic severity CFTR mutations. And we found that in reviewing those, that these mutations have unique genetic and functional molecular mechanisms. In the case of the ARBA17H mutation, variable splicing due to non-coding reasons that surround this mutation affect the amount of this mutation, which is incorporated into the CFTR protein, and thus helps us to understand that by variable incorporation of this mutation, we have variable levels of a gating abnormality and a conductance abnormality, which can be treated with Ivacaftor, a well-known and well-described modulator therapy, and thus links us in the therotyping approach. In the case of P67L, another rare CFTR mutation, we found that new understandings of channel function have led us to a better understanding of the molecular mechanism and a refined and corrected understanding of the molecular mechanism and inform us why studies, including combination therapy of tezacaftor with ivacaftor, may show response in patients with residual function mutations like P67L because of refined molecular mechanistic understandings. And finally, how improved understanding of molecular mechanisms can influence therapeutic approaches to CFTR mutation. As we've seen today, there's new therapies being advanced for several rare mutations. The molecular mechanism is key to understanding a therotyping approach. Because in the therotyping approach, if we can predict how a patient's going to respond based on the known characteristics of the drug, in other words, how it works on mutant CFTR, like knowing that Ivacaftor improves gating of certain gating dysfunction CFTR mutations, then we would be able to predict, if we understand that molecular mechanism, that patients with a similar molecular mechanism but not G551D might similarly respond to that modulator. And thereby, we can test using individualized type biomarkers whether or not the patient should have a response and advance therapies to new patients and new mutations. 
Dr. George Solomon from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Bob, thank you and to the organizers. This has been a lot of fun, and I hope it will be informative to the audience. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and GEC USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.